0: In a sense, the idea of a mystical warrior makes no sense at all. If we believe that one of the characteristics of a mystic is the unequivocal acceptance of things just the way they are, not because everything is good and rosy, but because every moment is, inescapably, well, what it is, then what is there to fight about? To wish that the present moment weren't happening or happening in a different way is to eject oneself from reality into the clouds of dissociation. So what do we mean by a mystical warrior? What is the mystic assailing? Not all mystics take the warrior's path, and for those who do, the nature of their warfare is bound to be as unique as their experience of reality. But a simple answer might be, the mystic has declared war on her own captivity. Since this warfare isn't about bullets and bombs and the conquest of physical territory, to understand it, we need to enter the imaginal. In mythological terms, we might say that the mystical warrior has undertaken a quest, to slay her captors and reclaim her place as the rightful ruler of her domain. The story of Theseus, the Minotaur, and the Golden Thread comes to mind as a good way to envision the deep reality in which this mystic pursuit unfolds. As you may remember, in this ancient Greek myth, Prince Theseus, in order to restore the sovereignty of Athens, volunteers to go to Crete to kill the half-man, half-bull Minotaur. But because the monster dwells at the center of a treacherous labyrinth, even if Theseus could destroy him, he would never escape. Out of love for Theseus, Ariadne gives him a skein of golden thread which he unwinds as he goes along so that he can follow it back out of the labyrinth after killing the Minotaur. Like Theseus, the mystical warrior undertakes a life-and-death adventure motivated by the need to restore a higher order and requiring the annihilation of the monstrous forces of enslavement. If we look at this through a Sufi lens, we could say that that ultimate restoration of a higher order is baka, the singular beinghood of union with the ground of being. In psychological terms, it could be described as the perpetual return of exploration integration in which the seeker arrives as a fully autonomous, illuminated person. In religious terms, it could be defined as God-inspired, God-centered, God-embodied consciousness. In short, this higher order is enlightenment, not as a treasure discovered, but as an inheritance restored. For that legacy to be re-established, the monster must be slain. Again, if we look through a Sufi lens, This overlord is called nafs, often translated as ego or the false self. But that hardly describes the deformed, demonic creature mercilessly dedicated to our imprisonment, whom the mystical warrior must annihilate. This heroic approach is necessary because the warrior understands that nafs, is not simply a psychological mechanism which can be subdued by therapeutic means. It must be put down. For some Sufi teachers, nafs has two aspects, only one of which can be known. The knowable nafs are the voices, impulses, subtle directives that overtake our will and steer us away from our best interests and the best interests of those around us. Through deceit and rationalization, these voices not only keep us blind to the truth of ourselves, they not only keep us confused by the fears and desires they promulgate, they ensure that we remain ignorant of what they're really doing. Because their main mission is to protect the unknowable nafs their boss, their beast master, the minotaur hidden in the depths of a labyrinth so forbidding that we dare not even imagine it exists. We could say the spiritual seeker becomes a mystical warrior when she realizes what these voices, these minions, are actually up to. At first, seeing how her ego keeps tripping her up, the spiritual seeker will try all sorts of smart and not-so-smart stratagems. From suppressing bad feelings to reigning in habits through disciplines, from inner deals which serve to placate unruly energies, to heightened awareness enabling her to catch egoic acts before they land, she does her best to limit the damage nafs inflicts. This can go on for a very long time with nothing but marginal effectiveness. Often, as one self-serving behavior is corrected, another sets up shop. She becomes a mystical warrior when she realizes why this isn't working. The minion's boss, the Minotaur, co opts these well-meaning efforts, turning them into double agents, using them to make himself even more unknowable. It can be quite a shock when one realizes that the spiritual agents one has employed to keep nafs in line are actually working for the monster. When she finally understands that the knowable nafs serve and protect a monster lord who keeps hidden from her sight, she knows that nothing short of decapitating this unseen nafs, executing the hidden minotaur, will restore her sovereignty. Then she accepts the role of hero and begins to train in order to be worthy of that mantle. At this point, let's return from the imaginal realm to the practical ground of everyday experience. While the mythology helps us grasp the enormity of the problem and enlists the hero archetype to address this problem, the practical implementation is something else again. What does it mean in terms of actual experience and behavior to be a mystical warrior? In the light of everyday reality, it is not what you might expect. For Sufis, the work of confronting nafs is called fana, meaning something like annihilation or extinction. These terms make it easy to assume that fana requires an assault of some kind, like a warrior wielding a battle axe. This is why, in the early stages of development, a seeker is liable to send out the soldiers of discipline to put down the ego's uprisings rarely leading to permanent victory. But Fana has another meaning, passing away, which might bring to mind the image of a storm subsiding or a creature fading out of life. This is the way of the mystical warrior. Rather than trying to clobber Nafs out of existence, he withdraws their life extinguishing them by withholding energy from them. In practice, this is a deeply nonviolent act, requiring extreme vigilance and patience, not force. If this sounds more like a monk than a warrior, then consider that this warfare demands persistent courage constant Buddha-like awareness, laser-like concentration, and a stillness comparable to a cobra or a cat before it strikes. And because this work goes on almost ad infinitum, it seems there are always more knots to contend with. Only the conviction that this is a life-or-death struggle will endure such a protracted war. In practice, before the mystical warrior can drain life out of the knowable nafs, he must know more about how they get their energy. So he quietly, surreptitiously watches their movements. He carefully observes two things. One is the originating motive of the nafs, what causes it to spring up. And the other is where it leads the state or experience to which the minion's impulse leads the seeker. This reconnaissance is vital to victory. Without it, battling the nafs becomes a game of whack-a-mole, bludgeoning nafs here only to have it pop up there. By detecting the wellsprings of nafs' movements, He comes to understand the fear or the longing from which it arises, and so may be better able to meet those needs in a healthier way. By clearly feeling where these impulses lead him, often to the experience of shame, regret, self-loathing, depletion, confusion, hopelessness, and so on, the warrior deepens his motivation to silence them. This is a long process requiring, as stated earlier, the enormous patience and ceaseless vigilance of a determined warrior. With any luck, gradually the war begins to feel winnable as the fruits of victory, deep confidence, unshakable equanimity, and a sense of exalting freedom begin to manifest. But how and when the war actually ends is not easy to say. In any case, the mystical warrior might feel it would be a mistake to imagine that Nafs can ever be finally fully annihilated. Our lives, after all, are rooted in the material human plane with all its susceptibility, unpredictability, and the tendency to bring us to new realities as our story unfolds, realities which we are often unprepared for. In the next episode, we'll consider how a lasting peace might be gained by hunting down the unknown knots. If there is a final battle, it is the confrontation with the Minotaur at the heart of one's labyrinth.